Oh, man. It's so good to be here. It's fun to experience all of the dynamics of a Christian life, to laugh together, to joke together, to be humble before one another. That's, it's good to be with you. If it's your first time here, we're glad you're here. Thank you for coming and um, joining with our study this evening. Not just to study. We don't come here just to study. We come here to worship the Lord. Um, like Tanner said, we have been studying the gospel. Um, we, and not just the motivation behind it was a, a couple things. One of the things that I want to do as a Christian is I want to share my faith, right? I want to understand my faith, and I want to share it. And because of that motivation, we have spent this summer slowly and wonderfully looking at the gospel one component at a time. It's been so good. Just a quick testimony how this summer's study has impacted my life. Um, Last Sunday morning, I was able to do I was asked to do a cowboy chapel out at a friend's barn who had a, a cult starting clinic. And uh, I wanted to share the gospel. And it was on the tip of my tongue, praise the Lord, because of the study we've been doing. I talked about the whole, yeah. Was that a cult or a cult starting? <laughs> you being a rancher and all, I figured you'd know such things. You see, a cult is a baby horse. Oh, brother. A colt. That's my accent coming through. A colt. Colt. A mare. No. Foal. Baby horse. Starting clinic. But the, we've been thinking about the gospel all summer. And like it was just there. Like I was so excited to talk about the holiness of God. And that he's righteous and just. And that man is a sinner. And man deserves wrath of God. One of the most sanctifying things for me, I guess it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago now, was spending two weeks studying hell for myself. Like, I did not enjoy it one bit. There's nothing I enjoyed about it. But now I get to enjoy it. I spent some time thinking and praying about it, um, and I was getting ready to come to Friday night to talk about God's wrath. And the only thing that brought me hope was, praise the Lord, I don't, I I deserve it, but I've been saved from it. I've been saved from that. I deserve it, but you have rescued me. We've been, we, we sang this evening, I cherish the old rugged cross. I think that is becoming... Um, I'm falling more in love with the Lord. Like I'm cherishing what He's done. Especially when I see who God is and who I am and what I deserve and what He's done for the glory of God to rescue me and other Christians. I love the Lord more than before we started this study. Can you guys say that you're falling in love with the Lord more? Man, I hope tonight, like as we study atonement, if you saw it up on the board, Atonement. Like as we look at the work of Christ, salvation, gospel, good news, that you will say, My God, how great you are. So loved you the world that he gave us his son. 
man, I hope that's where you're at. I hope that you're meditating on these things that we're studying. We're going to be looking at atonement this evening. Me and Tanner, we're sitting down. We talk. We share an office. We share a table. We share a keyboard. No, I'm just kidding. We don't go quite that far. But we're sitting at it. We get this little table, and like, there's a monitor between us. And we get a lot of time where we're like studying, and Tanner will be like, Hey, Andy. And we're like, yeah. It's like, Tanner. It's like, yeah. It's like, tell me some words that when you think of atonement come to mind. Good, deep words. Atonement. Payment. Appeasement. Propitiation. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. God's satisfaction. Sacrifice. The great exchange. You ever heard that? Substitution. Great love. No greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friend. Cleansing. The work of Christ. And then finally, we were singing about it. The cross. A lot of times, like we... You hear these words and you think of like we sing about the cross. And there's just so much to it, guys. Atonement is like a diamond that has so many beautiful sides. And the more you turn it and you expose it to light, the more you're like, wow, I never thought of that. I never saw the depth of God's love. I hope we can do that this evening as we look at what happened on the cross. Well, Christ died, right? Yeah, but what happened? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that tonight. I'd like to say that the cross stands as the most important event within existence. 2,000 years ago, the day, the one day in history that the cross The work on the cross took place. I'd like to say it is the most important time in within existence. And I believe that if there was no cross, if there was no work of Christ, there would be no existence. Have you ever thought about that? That if God did not make a way for sinners to atone, to be atoned for, to sinners to be forgiven, He will punish the unrighteous, and it could have happened with one bite of an apple. It could have happened as soon as sin happened, God said it's over. But before before then, Jesus Christ's work on the cross was the plan before the beginning. It will stand as a memorial of worship and praise, we see in Revelations, throughout eternity. Think about this. I wrote this on Facebook today. Up until 2,000 years ago, It was a mystery even in the heavens. The angels longed to look into what we're going to study. They did not know. You see, this is their recollection of sin. There was an angel. His name was Lucifer. Welled up with pride. And God made no atonement for this one. And he sent him to be forever out of his presence. And then comes Adam. And what do you think the angels are thinking? What's he going to do? And then there's these evidences of what God might do when he clothed 
Adam and Eve with skins rather than leaves. There's Abraham's sacrifice. What's that about? They're wondering. There's Noah's sacrifice. There's the whole Levitical law. What's going on? All these these things that God says is a shadow of things to come. David makes sacrifices. And the prophets, they made these different sacrifices. And there was a, a temporal covering for sin. And the angels, I wonder what they were thinking. And then I wonder what they thought when God took on flesh. Think about that. Their creator, the, the great creator, takes on flesh and becomes a pitiful human, like me and you. Not that he was pitiful, but fleshliness is pitiful. It's low, it's earthly, and Christ takes on flesh. What were they thinking? And then they see Christ, he grows. He has to learn. They see him crying. They see him working. They see him sweating. And the angels are thinking, what? And then they see him falling down. They see him, God, bleeding. He suffers sorrow. He suffers hunger. He suffers. He is a reproach for men. He is people, the, the, the ones that he is living among are against them. And the angels, what do you think they're thinking? They're on the edge of their seat. And as the Roman soldiers are getting ready to kill him, what do you think they're doing? They, in fact, 12 legion of them, Christ says, is right there, ready to destroy all of humanity to save their creator. What, just say the word, Father. Say the word and it's done. And then God does something crazy. He kills himself. The Father kills the Son. The Godhead, for the first time ever, there is this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What in the world is going on? On that one day, man, that day stands apart from any other. Earth grows dark. It's recorded in history that on that day there was a solar eclipse. The earth grows dark. There is earthquakes. The temple, the veil that goes between the Holy of Holies is split in two. Everything is different. What just happened? Atonement. Christ says it is finished. Atonement was made. It is finished. Do you know what the word atonement means? It means um, to coat. I wish I had a blanket right now. To, to, to cover yourself up. In Genesis 3, Christ covered up Adam and Eve with skins that, he, that an animal had to have died. Adam and Eve are trying to cover up their pathetic naked bodies, their shameful bodies with leaves. God says, he makes them, he makes them a clothing out of an animal's flesh. Atonement, covering had been made. Noah comes along. 
the ark had to go through the wrath of God, the flood, and it was intense. It isn't like the rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came, it's not like that. It was intense. And you know what Adam, you know what God told Noah? He said, Noah, and this was his exact phrasing, atone the ark inside and out. Pitch is the word. The word is pitch. Cover it with pitch on the outside and on the inside so it can go through and it won't sink. That's atonement. It's saving. It's a cover that saves. I think of uh, Romans 8.1. Therefore, those who are in Christ... John Piper said, you, we wrap ourselves in the wounds of Christ and we are shielded from the wrath of God. That's good. Like, just like a blanket, I'm, just, I'm safe. I've been atoned for. But what does atonement mean? That's it defined. I want to demonstrate it. Show it demonstrated. I remember when I was a little kid, one time, one time, I got spanked. A lot. <laughs> and I was in my bedroom, and I, I don't remember what I did, but my dad came up. And um, we had a, a paddle about that big. It was made of three-quarter inch plywood. Had a handle. Had my name on it with a leather strap. And it had <laughs> holes in it where my dad was going to drill so it would fly faster. He was a genius. <laughs> One day, my dad, um, he said, we're going to do something different. And he gave me the paddle, and he said, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. See, I knew what I deserved. And I took that paddle, and I was bawling. I could barely hit him. It was so stinking hard to see my dad suffer for something that I deserved. It was like, boop, boop. <laughs> and he's like, I remember him saying, harder, Andy, Harder. That's atonement. That's it demonstrated. That was a good lesson. I'll never forget that. Um, I've been, I had a goal this summer of uh, reading. I wanted to read a ton of scripture. And I stopped at Leviticus. I just stopped. I just love Leviticus. love Hebrews. You get to Hebrews, and man, you're all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. You get to Leviticus, and if I, I'd like to say that Leviticus, you could say, would be a commentary on the holiness of God. Hebrews 6 would be a commentary of the atonement. God's way before the cross came to prepare the people for what's coming. God is not pleased with what's happening. He says, I'm not pleased with the blood of bulls and goats. But Hebrews, what does Hebrews tell us of the things of the law? What are they? What are they? They're a shadow. They're a shadow of the things to come. Colossians describes it as, they're a shadow of the substance. There's a ton we can learn from Leviticus about the atonement. Um, let's go to Leviticus one And I'm going to jump around Leviticus 
mostly I'll be just talking to you. I, you know, as we, as we share our faith with our friends, like this isn't, a, this isn't a time where we're like giving you tips on how to share your faith. Like you probably, you may never share this with an unbeliever. But I want you to understand it and to see it and to grasp it so that when you do have that opportunity, you have a measure of the depth of the atonement and what happened on the cross. So follow along with me or just listen, but I hope that you love it. Leviticus. You know, we've talked before too about the sacrificial system. We're going to look at it a little bit different light this evening. Leviticus 1, 3. Now let's start up with 2. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. When the Israelites came, they had to, they had to make atonement for their sin. They had, their sin had to be covered. If they were going to have a right relationship with God, they cannot go into the presence of a holy God marred by sin. They had to atone for their sins. This is the process specific process that God brought them through. The first thing was they had to bring a lamb, and it depended upon um, how well off they were. If you were well off, you brought a bull. If you were down, you might brought a goat or a lamb. If you were down, if you didn't have as much money, you might bring a, a pigeon. If you had less money than that, you'd bring grain. But God says it must be without blemish. It must be your best. You see, it had to represent cost. If you had a herd of sheep, the one that was without blemish, there was no physical problems with it. It wasn't limping along or missing an ear with frostbite. It was perfect. It was worth more money. Atonement comes with a cost. It's costly, and it reflects the perfection of God. You don't bring something to God Kinda, or halfway. God says it must be perfect, for I am perfect. This lamb, it's got to be your best. How was Christ that way? Somebody, somebody read for me First Peter 2.22, and somebody get, uh, Ellie, would you get Hebrews 4.15? In John 8.46, Jesus challenges the Pharisees, to point out if any of them could put any guilt on him. Is there any way that he had broken the law? And never was he condemned. Never was, it, was there something brought before Christ and said, he, was, he broke the law here, and it just didn't happen. Who, who could read for me 1 Peter 2.22? Stand up and read it out loud, Nathan. He committed, at no point did he break the law, and no deceit was found in his mouth. 
Our, our mouths, they reflect our heart. What you say, Jesus said, it's, it's, you're venting from your heart. Nothing. He was perfect. He was pure. He was the spotless lamb. Elliot, go ahead and read for me from Hebrews. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. At all points. It wasn't an easy road. Christ was tempted at all parts. He was thoroughly tested, but yet there was no sin. He was the perfect lamb. As we read on in Leviticus, it says um, in 4, 1, 4, Then the man who brought the lamb, he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He offered this, they would bring this lamb in, they brought it before the priests, the priests were the intercessors before the Lord. And they'd, if, if Elliot was a lamb, they'd put their hands on the lamb or on the goat, and this was to signify my guilt, my shame. I'm going to lay it on this animal. Have you ever heard of um, the word uh, vicarious? What does it mean? Do you know what vicarious means? How would you define it? If you're a vicar, you're a, you're a person who stands in the place of another. Vicarious means that something is happening in place of you. When they put their hands on that animal, that animal suffered the price for what they should pay. That's what the first thing they would do. They'd bring it and they would put their hands on their head, my guilt, on this animal. Transferring guilt. I, I find it interesting that they put it on their head. The head. It's where your mind is. It's where your conscience resides. It's where the, the conscience is, the guilty conscience. Matthew twenty seven, twenty five. Do you remember what they said as they crucified Christ? Let his guilt be on our heads and on the heads of our children. That's the Jewish mindset. We want that if it's a we want that person's guilt to be on us. We will take the, we'll bear in our conscience what happens. That is what happened. Is um, they would take their shame, their guilt, and they lay it. Let's look at uh, Isaiah fifty-three. We're going to be spending a lot of time and back and forth in Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah fifty-three, and I'm going to just skip around to several of these verses to talk about this. Surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. There's the idea. Our griefs and our sorrows He bore. They were laid upon Him. In 5 it says, But He was wounded. Why? For our transgressions. He was bruised. Why? For our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. 11b says, For he shall bear their iniquities. 12b, 
Because he poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The idea is that our sin, our iniquity, was laid on him. It was on him. Let me read, uh, I have several verses in Hebrews I'd like to read, but I'm going to read just a couple of them. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen. Hebrews 9.14 Hebrews 10.2 says, For then would they have no, uh, they would not have ceased to be offered, for the worshippers once purified would have no more conscience of sin. No more conscience of sin. It was transferred to Christ. 9.14 says, um, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience. Our guilt, and I know what guilt feels like, was transferred to him. Let's keep talking out. Let's keep talking. The next thing that happened, Leviticus 1.5. The guilt was transferred, and then the man who brought the bull, Leviticus 1.5, he shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests and Aaron's sons. And then it was killed. And this is where the sacrifice begins. Kind of what we talked about, a preliminary. But this, what we're going to be going through now, is what I believe what happened on the cross. And even what we just talked about. Um, it's three sections. Blood, bowels, and body. Three distinctly different things uh, that if you go through Leviticus and then all of the sacrifices, what happened is there was, a, there was something they did with the blood, there was something they did with the bowels, and there was something they did with the body. And it was different, and, and they, you don't confuse them. The blood was poured out. It was collected and it was poured out. The bowels, the intestines of the animal, was burned up. And the body, the flesh, the hide, a lot of times the head, was taken out. It was not in the city. It was not in the temple. It was taken out. All three of them teach us something about the atonement of what happened on the cross. Let's start with the body. Leviticus 4. Do you guys find this interesting? Like, to me, I'm just like, Lord, what, what? Like, I'm reading through Leviticus, and I'm like, Lord, what is this? What's going on? Leviticus 4, 11. But the bull's hide and all its flesh, with its head and its legs and its entrails and offal, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured, and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, and it shall be burned. It wasn't to be eaten. It wasn't poured out. It was taken outside. Not on the altar, not in the temple, not in the city, outside. Where the ashes were. Not in a holy place, but in a clean place. What's going on? The first thing is the body is disfigured. If you look at what they did to that boy, that they disfigured it. This was a gruesome job. If you've ever been hunting, like this is even past gutting a deer. 
like they, they took the legs apart and they took the hide off and they took and it was all taken out. The first thing is that it's disfigured. Psalms twenty two, seven. Christ also was disfigured on so many levels. Let's go to Psalms twenty two and I'm gonna skim around it. As we read this, don't let this thought be far from you. This is in your place. This was for me, for the glory of God, but I benefit. Psalms 22, it says 7, starting in 7, All those who see me ridicule. Verse 14, I am poured out like water in all my bones, out or out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me down to the dust of death. Jesus was whipped. He was flogged. He was spit upon. He was disfigured more than any movie you have seen. He was forced to the point of exhaustion to carry a cross a crown of thorns, his side was pierced, he was nailed to a cross to die naked. On so many levels, Christ was disfigured. The second thing is the sacrifice was brought outside the city. Isaiah 53.12 says that he will be numbered with the transgressors. Christ was numbered with the transgressors. He was taken outside the city like an outlaw where the outlaws were, where the crooks, where the murderers were crucified. And it wasn't just him. It was, he was numbered with many transgressors. He was hung between two thieves in the place of a murderer, Barabbas. That was his cross. That's where Christ was. He was disfigured, and where the transgressor and the murderer should have been, Christ was. And he stands there in their place. Everything that you can see visibly on the animal, the hide, the head, was taken outside. What, what the human can see of Christ was terrible. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Ten. says this, For we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood it is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. This is what's going on in Leviticus. Do you remember who you are? Remember when we looked at that? Enemies, criminals, outlaws. Christ dies the death of an outlaw in place of me and you. This makes him the just, and what else, Rick? The justifier. He is the just God who, who, who punishes the sin of criminals. And he's also the guy who takes it. Let's keep going. Let's go to the body. The next is the blood. The blood is never to be drank, Christ said, God says. 
Do not drink the blood like the goat worshippers. Why? Because the life is in the blood. You're not to be like that. The blood is not to be burned up. It's not to be taken outside the temple. What do you do with the blood? You sprinkle it. You, you, you sprinkle it on the mercy seat. This is so interesting. They would take some, a bowl of blood, and they would go up to the, the, um, the veil, and they would flick it seven times completely. And then the priest would take a little bit of the blood, and he'd put it on his ear, on his thumb, his right hand, on his big toe. I think there's significance there, but we don't have time to go to that. The remainder of the blood is poured out all around the altar. Imagine the priest in his white robe doing this, what he must have looked like. I imagine his white robe was red with blood. I'd like to stop for a second and think about this, because so many people wrestle with this, and that is this. Why is the atonement so bloody? What is it with Christians and their infatuation for grotesque death? What kind of God is this? And people, I wrestle with that. Like, God, why so bloody? Well, you, think of, you think of verses like um, Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And I understand that. But why? Why does God demand blood? Why couldn't, in other parts of the law, let's say I stole from A.J. You know what the law says? Okay, Andy, you stole from A.J., Give him back what you stole and add a fifth. That's in the law. Why couldn't God have done that? Why couldn't our payment have been monetarily? Why did it have to be bloody? Why couldn't our payment have been a good beating? Why couldn't our payment have been a life of slavery? You see, another verse, Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. But, but why, God, do you want blood? Justification demands equal compensation. Okay? If it must be equal in order for it to be... If, if I steal $10... I give $10, and God says, add a fifth to make it right. So why, why blood? Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds a man's blood, by his blood he shall be, by, his, um, by man his blood shall be shed. If I kill somebody, I deserve to be killed. It's equal compensation. So who murdered God? Okay. Think about that. God demands blood. How is that just? Is sin that serious? Yeah. Is God just making an illustration? No. Who killed God? You did. I did. What do you mean? I'll tell you how. James 4 says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Colossians 1 says that I harbored enmity, hatred thoughts in my mind towards God. And Jesus said, let me reveal what's going on in your mind. He who hates, he who says I hate your brother is what? He's a murderer. That's the intent of the heart. You see, sin 
is murderous hatred intentions in my heart towards God. That's why God has every reason to say, I want blood for equal compensation. Because you've had equal, you've had murderous thoughts against me. This will make it, this is just. Do you understand that? That's intense. Cosmic murder. The one who hates his brother is a murderer with murderous thoughts. Imagine this for a second. Imagine a man brutally murders another man. The man happens to be who got murdered was a father. Well, because the, because the one was a murderer, he deserves the death penalty. And at the last moment, before he is taken away, the one who was murdered, his son, steps up. And he says... I'm going to lay down my life for you so that you can go free. That is what happened. We had murderous thoughts in our heart. That's what sin is. And the son pays for them with his blood. That should have been mine and would have justly been mine. Matthew 26, Jesus says to the disciples, drink this. This is my blood for the sins of many. Hebrews 9, 12, this is about Jesus. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he enters the Holy of Holies once and for all. This is a bit of a sidetrack, but I think it's worth it. Do you remember that priest in that bloody white robe making the sacrifice. I was thinking of Revelations 19.13, when Christ returns, the sword comes out of his mouth and his eyes burn with fire and he has a robe dipped in blood. I wonder whose blood that is. You read the next verse and it says, and behind him are the righteous armies And they are clothed in linens of white. I wonder if that's his blood. If the high priest king, who offered up himself as the sacrificial lamb, says, do you see this robe? Do you see what I accomplished? Do you see my armies that are white and pure because of the work that I have done? That's intense, man. I love the Lord. Think what he has done. The blood, the body, and then the bowels. That is the one thing that you do not see in an animal. You see the hide. If he bleeds, you see the blood. You see his his legs, but you do not see his internal organs. Leviticus 3, 3 to 5, 3, 14 through 16, 4, 8 8 through 10 all give specific instructions of what to do with the, with the intestines, the kidneys, the fat, all of that, them, them internal, internal things. And this is what they're to, be do, to do every time. God says, put them on the altar and burn them up. Burn them up. You don't get them. Burn them up in the next phrase. And it was a sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord every time. 
put them on the altar, burn them up, and God says, I am appeased. It's sweet-smelling aroma to me. What is going on? Um, I, think, I think it was just, uh, I was studying this passage, and I was driving to church, listening to a sermon totally unrelated by John MacArthur, and he was in Luke 1, 70, Luke 1 verses 77 and 78. Turn there with me real quick. Luke one seventy seven. Zechariah is giving, talking about his son, John the Baptist, who's coming, who's going to proclaim Jesus, who gives salvation. One seventy seven says this: to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Listen to this: through the tender mercy of our God. Through the tender mercy of our God, He gives knowledge of salvation to His people by the remissions of their sins. The tender mercy. Splagnon. You know what splagnon means? Guts. Internal organs are the tender mercies of the Lord. The bow, this is the definition. The bowels were regarded as the seat of the most violent passions, such as anger and love, but by the Hebrews as the seat of the tender affections, especially kindness, benevolence, compassion. Atonement is a demonstration of God's most violent passions. Love like you have never imagined. Wrath like you have never imagined. Kindness, mercy, grace like you have never imagined. This stuff, the tender mercies of the Lord, God says, put on the altar and burn them up. I get them. They're for me. And nobody else knew it at the time of the crucifixion. They only saw the bull being taken out. But what was also going on at the same time was God's violent Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Hmm. A son of the love of a father for his son, only begotten, and the love of a son for his father, not my will, but yours. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, part of the atonement you don't get, it's for God. It's for His glory. Ephesians 1 says that, 1 later on says that for, for the ages to come, we'll see the glories of God that have to do with His atonement. It's for God's glory and His alone. They represent the deep emotions. Isaiah 53:10. Let's just read it really quick. Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord. It satisfied the Lord to bruise him. Eleven. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. 
it pleased the Lord what his son was doing. And then there's part of the atonement that you do get. You see, there's part of the atonement that is for God's glory. Here's the other part. They'd have a bowl. This is just one of the sacrifices. There is other ways to demonstrate this. They'd have a clay bowl. And in the bowl, they'd have some meat. Part of the, part of the, the sacrifice. Sometimes the uh, priest would take a fork with two prongs and he'd stick it in. Whenever he pulled out, it was for him and his family to live on. And they, would take, and then they would take that meat and they'd burn it before the Lord. It's yours. And they would take that clay bowl and they'd smash it every time. There's a lot going on there. You see, part of the atonement, it's, for, it's burned up. It's for God's glory. Oh, but part of the atonement's for you. Just like that priest was provided for, salvation is a provision for God's people. It's eternal food. It's how you're provided for as a Christian. He would, it was called a wave offering. And he would hold it up to the Lord. We're a commemorative. In other words, like, Lord, this is yours. And you've given it to me. I'm going to take it home and feed my family. A little bit of meat. What does it accomplish in me? Psalms 51.9 gives some evidence. talks about it blots out my transgression. Our transgressions are blotted out. Psalms 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's good. Not the north and the south, the east and the west. You know why? Because if you're going north, eventually you'll be going south again. And God says, no, when you go east and west, it's eternally opposite. North and south, you'll eventually, you'll collide. That's not what the writer said. As far as the east is from the west, so far... He removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 38, 7. You have cast my sins behind your back. Isn't that cool? God. Micah seven nineteen. You will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. In closing. Because of the atonement, God's holiness is kept pure. Because you are made holy in Christ. Because of the atonement, God's justice is served because Christ took the punishment. God's righteousness is proclaimed because what I rightly deserved and what God rightly demanded, Christ fully fulfills. His wrath is poured out on His Son, not you. His mercies are rich, and Ephesians says incomprehensible. God's character of love. The gospel is a demonstration of God's character. The gospel flows out of his character, his holiness, his justice, his righteousness. We've got to his love now. The atonement demonstrates his love fully towards us when, while I was still sinning. That is why it's called grace, because we do not deserve it. Angels have longed to look into it. They think, what is he doing? It's unexpected. Yet it's been planned for from the foundations of the earth. The atonement. God kills his son for his glory. He holds nothing back, Romans 8 says. Man benefits from what is not rightly his, like a beggar receiving eternal life, sustaining food. Yet we are no longer estranged strangers to the table to be turned away. We do not eat in separate quarters like slaves. 
The atonement makes those who repent and believe not slaves. It makes them sons and daughters of God, their father. That's good. (laughs) This is what the atonement inspired Charles Wesley to write these words. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? We've just scratched the surface of atonement. Like, there's so much more. But do you love Christ a little bit more when you see what he did on the cross for you? Man, taste and see that the Lord is good. If that, I don't know. As a believer, your heart should rejoice. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next 25 minutes. We're going to break up into our small groups. We've been working through the gospel. And for a few minutes, from the best of your memory, and through the leadership of the, of the people in your group, we're going to speak the gospel back to one another. Only using scripture. God's holiness, His righteousness, His justice, man's character, the punishment... And then once we've done that, I'd like you to go to Isaiah 53. I want you just to read through it. And I want you to just to think and to meditate and to talk and to rejoice over atonement, over what what Christ has done for you. Um, Let's go ahead and break up. And then after a while, Rick will bring us back with some singing and prayer. You're dismissed to go find some tables.